Welcome everyone to uh, service today as far as have, happy Father's Day for those who are here and have fathers. Uh, you know what, um, fathers that are still with you, <laughs> I understand that because my father of course passed away a few years ago as well. And uh, I hope that this day is also one that is uh, comforting to you in a way where you can remember um, just moments with your dad. I know Father's Day can be fun and enjoyable for a lot of you, but again, there are fathers who have gone on before us in the heaven, and I uh, uh, just want to acknowledge that as well, too, and, and one in particular I'm thinking of is Mark and, uh, as well, and I so appreciate uh, Anna Lee being here today as well, helping out her mom, and, and just want to say that I understand those who might be going through those situations that this day is tough. I, I get it. I understand that. I also understand, too, that it is a celebration for people who uh, still have their fathers. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Celebrate with your dads. Make sure you do so and uh, honor them today. We have an uh, opportunity to say hi to some people who are online. We've got a number of people. I saw that Dale Pearson's online today. I didn't see where he was com coming from, though. Um, and, but it just says, hi. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, he says. That's about all. Anyway, hi, Dale, wherever you're coming from. Hopefully you're not too far away. I know that he's more up and down uh, the, the West Coast here now, or, or Pacific Northwest area, instead of all over the place. So hopefully he's not traveling too far. Looks like, uh, looks like uh, um, Becky's aunt, Sue Nauman, is online. Good to have you here today. Glad you could join us. And, of course, Becky Broyles. I missed her. She was at the very beginning again. And uh, she's online. Becky, good to have you here with us today. And who else? Oh, and Beth Moyer, along with Marilyn, are uh, watching from uh, their, their home right now. Good to have you guys with us today as well. And who else? That's, that's all I know of on here. Maybe there are others who are watching, and I'm not able to see who it is. But anyway, apparently last Sunday I said hi to... Uh, uh, Betty um, Graffis, and she, she texted me later. She said, I wasn't online. I was like, then who was that? <laughs> I think she was. Anyway, so I'm being very careful this time, making sure I got the right person on there. Anyway, just uh, again, uh, those who are online, welcome and happy Father's Day to you guys as well, too, who are online. And uh, uh, as you see, there's some fun stuff here for us. I, one, one person remained nameless, I won't say who it is, but came up and said, you know what? If we were to turn these around like this, <laughs> there'd be a lot of questions going on today. <clears throat> That's why the label is out in front. <laughs> this is root beer that you will be enjoying. And again, uh, you can grab one of these. These are you can grab one of these after after service. These are uh, touchable. You can take those um, and uh, take them on downstairs if you want and enjoy a, a, a root beer float if you'd like. Uh, you can take them with you and just go home if you want to. That's fine as well. Um, but uh, you notice I chose bottles because you have to have a bottle opener. Oh, it's not twist. Yeah, you got to have a bottle opener in order to uh, be able to drink these. So during service, you weren't able to just come on up and grab one. And yeah, oh, I think Ben's got something in his pocket. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> always ready. Always ready. Anyway. Father's Day today. Let me share some things with you I think you might find useful, fathers, possibly. Um, 
But uh, let me share, first of all, those who might still be looking for a gift for their father. It's last minute, I know, but uh, maybe you might get some ideas from this. Uh, the 10 manliest gifts for Father's Day. <laughs> maybe you... Uh, probably seen this list before, but, you know, it, it's, it, if you want to support the patriarchy, uh, you're, you're going to pony up the cash to honor your father, or he'll think you don't care, so here's some manly gifts that you can, uh, you might be able to do. How about a rock? A rock. To smash things and sharpen iron weapons with, like a man. So give him a rock. Give him a bag of dirt, <laughs> because, you know, you just rub it on kids' boo-boos, right? And so it makes it better. Rub dirt on it. How about a camouflage high-capacity tactical orthopedic back pillow? <laughs> Support your lumbar tactically. <laughs> How about, a, uh, for those hunters out there, bulletproof vests for deer to make hunting more challenging. <laughs> How about James Bond's Aston uh, Martin? Uh, maybe a car like that might, yeah, okay. John says yes, please. You'll take one. You get the one that turns invisible so you can stealthily keep his daughter from dating the wrong guy. <laughs> or uh, maybe a long-range night vision grill tongs <laughs> for the elite barbecue operative in your life. How about a shirt that never wears out so you can wear only that shirt forever without ever buying a new one? <laughs> make, sure to pair it with, make sure to pair it with some cologne and deodorant for your own safety on that one. How about a combination bottle opener and space telescope? I don't know if you've got that, Ben. It, no, no, no space telescope? Okay. Well, don't leave your dad unable to crack open a nice cold one while gazing into the vast abyss of infinite, infinite space. So you can have that going on with that little device. How about a ruggedized uh, outdoor foot massager? <laughs> pairs, pairs nicely with scented candles shaped like AR-15s. <laughs> or maybe a, a wallet that's the same size and shape as a Big Mac. <laughs> the bigger, the better. Yeah, you just do that. Anyway, maybe some gifts you haven't thought of, but... Uh, I hope you got one already, because if that list you're, you're, you're trusting in for a gift, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and for those fathers out there, I know that you know, there's a lot of responsibility to, to uh, um, be the father of the household and all that. Leading your family through a, a woke world uh, is kind of difficult at times. Maybe to cause, you know, don't want to cause them spiritual harm or stress. You know, have a, it's a stressful job. Um, but also, sometimes your wife doesn't make that sandwich you asked for, so life gets kind of hard, doesn't it? So uh, here are some classic dad hacks, you know, life hacks, you've read them before, something that makes life easier. Here's something to make fatherhood maybe a little easier, um, and maybe for your best life now, I, maybe, maybe not. Um, how about carry no less than four pocket knives at all times? Ben, how many do you have? <laughs> One? Five? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because your family will lose faith in your ability to provide for them if you try to open an Amazon package with your bare hands like some kind of dumb ape. So get out that knife. Make sure you have a number of them. How about if you feed the kids enough cheese, they'll stop pooping? <laughs> Anyone have any messes? We've been there. Poor, poor, poor Zach. <laughs> he ate too much, too much cheese. Yeah. It's an ancient Chinese secret, by the way. Anyway. How about whenever someone says, I'm whatever, Say, nice to meet you, whatever, I'm dad, you know, I'm hungry, nice to meet you, hungry, I'm dad. You'll get instant respect when you use that phrase. How about if the kids have too much energy, tell them to run laps around the house, and whoever's the last to collapse in exhaustion wins $5. 
I think we did a number of those things when our boys were young. <laughs> All three of them were just all over the place. But be sure to adjust the amount you offer for inflation. During these days, no one's running laps for less than probably $348. <laughs> uh, maybe offer to help with chores, but do them really badly so your wife stops asking. <laughs> now, you didn't hear that from me. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, how about throw your dirty socks on the floor? They'll magically appear back in your drawer the next day completely clean. It's amazing. Drag your kid around the floor on a couple of Swiffer pads to keep them occupied and get the cleaning done at the same time. There's a good father hack. Oh, and, and then, of course, not sure how to bond with your kids? Invite them to do whatever you're doing. There's a life hack I hope you employ. They'll actually go for it every time. Turns out they just want you. And so spend time, dads, with your kids. It's pretty cool that they want to do that. They might not look like it sometimes. They might not you know, think it's really cool to be with their dad or something, especially when they use a lot of dad jokes like me. But, uh, <laughs> or step on their toes when they're dancing. <laughs> Yesterday we had a wedding that we were at, and uh, came to the father-daughter dance. <laughs> Poor Brianna. <laughs> I stepped all over her toes. <laughs> so I got to make up for that someday. But anyway, still, she still wanted to be with me, I hope. <laughs> but anyway, your kids want to be with you. And so dad, spend some time with them. And make sure you, you cut out, carve out that time and, and uh, set aside whatever is pressing in your life. So happy Father's Day, and uh, again, trust that this day will be a good celebration, and fathers, that you will feel honored, and uh, uh, <laughs> those who are online and you wish you had a root beer, sorry, <laughs> I guess they're here, but if you want to stop by the church, I can make sure you get one, I suppose, but uh, anyway, um, root beers for you guys at the end, and then, of course, anybody who wants to grab a root beer and take it home to your dad, or even if you finally want one yourself, that's fine, too. We got plenty to go around, but uh, just a uh, celebration for our fathers today. We're going to go to uh, prayer, and uh, if you've got uh, requests on your heart, of course, the altar's open. You can come pray, but uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come into your house and worship you. And Lord, on this day of Father's Day, I pray, Lord, that uh, the fathers who, who are with us here today and online as well, too, Lord, that they will feel honored today, that they will feel uh, uh, loved as well. Lord, that you'd give them a wonderful time with family, and I uh, pray, Lord, that the kids will be able to spend some time uh, um, gifting to dad, whatever that might be. Maybe it's their time, um, but Lord, I pray that it will be a special day today. Also, Lord, we pray that you'd be with families who their fathers aren't with them anymore, and I pray, Lord, that you'd bring your comfort and your peace to them, and Lord, that you'd remind them uh, you are the Heavenly Father that they can trust in and be guided by right now. And I pray, Lord, that uh, during those days where we miss our dads, I pray that you, again, would just come alongside us, Lord, and uh, provide for the need that is in our heart that moment. And Lord, also, too, pray for those families. Maybe, Lord, that the Father is missing. It's not around anymore. Maybe the Father left. Lord, I pray for those families on this day that you would, again, provide for those families' needs as well, too. But on this Father's Day, Lord, we just uh, acknowledge the uh, fathers and, and men of our congregation as well, too, and pray, Lord, for them. Equip them, Lord, to be the example that they need to be uh, before the family. 
a godly example, Lord, that as you work in their hearts, they'll follow you closely and uh, be, in a, be used by you within not only their family, but also to uh, all around them, whoever they meet and come, come in touch with. Lord, we thank you for fathers <clears throat> and pray, Lord, that you again would just bless them. Lord, we also ask that you'd continue to be with the different requests that are in our bulletin as well and ask, Lord, that you'd meet each of those needs according to your will. And Lord, thank you that we have this list that we can take with us through the week and continue to pray for these requests and anticipate how you're going to answer these requests. But Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be able to uh, come to you right now and, and with those unspoken requests as well too. We pray that you'd be with those people who might have those unspoken requests. They're just trusting in you for that answer. And we just want to come alongside them, Lord, in prayer and pray that you would just continue to guide and direct in their life and remind them that you're a God that can be trusted with those difficulties, those concerns, those burdens. And as we lay them at your feet, Lord, we pray that we would not pick them back up again. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to come into your house. Thank you, Lord, for a privilege it is for me to be able to be up here and to bring your message today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me be able to communicate your message clearly. And just thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives and what you're about to do as well, too. And Lord, we just want to come to you and just say we, we are available, ready and willing to hear from you and to put into practice what we hear from you. We love you, Lord, so very much. In your name we pray. Amen. Junior Church, you can head on downstairs. Looks like Lori's going to help you out, have a good time. So you want to head on down? Do that now. And of course, if you, if you fathers didn't, or if anybody didn't get enough of the Father's Day stuff too, you've got an insert in here that you can read about memories and moments of fathers as people have shared. And Ron, I don't know if you've uh, read the back part of this at all. Oh, well, Elizabeth had something to share. <laughs> And so did Matthew, okay. So you might, yeah, get a bulletin, buddy. <laughs> oh, dear. <clears throat> well, do you remember the comedy routine, Who's On First? Abbott and Costello get into a lively discussion about the baseball team they're about to watch. If you recall, the routine kind of begins with Lou saying, I love baseball. When we get to, to St. Louis, will you tell me the guys' names on the team so when I go to see them in the St. Louis ballpark, I'll be able to know those fellows? And then, uh, of course, Bud says, oh, all right. But, you know, strange as it may seem, they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names, nicknames like Dizzy Dean. Now, on the, on the St. Louis team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know, on third. And then Lou is like, well, that's what I want to find out. I want, I want you to tell me the names of the fellows on the St. Louis team. He says, well, I'm telling you. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. Is on third. You know the fellow's names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? Not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on first. What's the name of the guy I'm playing on first base? No, that's second, second base. <laughs> anyway, so it continues on and goes through all of that. And Lou never figures out who's on first. And sometimes the same thing is true for us. We all struggle with figuring out who's on first 
and who should be in, in first place in our lives. Now, this isn't necessarily a Father's Day message, but you sure can take it, fathers, in that way. But I believe we all can take this message today to heart and realize we need to understand who should be first place in our lives. Jesus spoke some very clear and profound words to this. One day on a remote hill, he spoke these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all those who heard him speak were never the same again. What he meant by this and what it means to us is what we will direct our attention to this, this morning. Now, if you remember, we've, we're, we're starting a summer series of messages on the Beatitudes called, called Be Attitudes. And uh, it's because these are the attitudes that must be in our lives as followers of Jesus. We need, we need to have these uh, very evident in our lives. So Matthew chapter 5, if you haven't turned there yet, that's where we're kind of resting through, pretty much through the summer. But Jesus has brought His disciples into a, a remote region of Judah, far away from the city of Jerusalem. And the region is close to the Sea of Galilee, in fact, the mountainside on which the message is given kind of overlooks the sea itself. And there's a bit of a message in the geography here. Jesus has brought himself to the people in an area about as opposite to the city of Jerusalem as one could find in Judah. And you could almost say that he has chosen to distance himself from what the city had come to represent. And people would expect a Messiah to come from the spiritual center of their universe, but he was chosen to reveal himself in the, in the backwoods of the country. He has not been a public figure for long, but he has already begun to attract a crowd. The verses immediately before these tell us that in uh, chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So there is indeed a very large crowd of curious bystanders around, trying to figure out who is this guy. And we can be sure that the, the words Jesus is about to speak are meant to be heard by them as well as the disciples that are there too. So he sat down with his disciples and started to teach them. And his words are going to center on the importance of living differently than the society in which they have lived in all their lives. He's taking, he's, he's taking the, the spoken as well as the unspoken rules they live by and turning them upside down. And he isn't striking down the law of God. In fact, he's just minutes away from making this warning to them in, in verse 17 of, of, of Matthew 5. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus was not a bystander while God revealed the law to Moses centuries earlier. He was, is, and always will be his father's son sent to do his work. So what Jesus is talk, uh, taking on here uh, is the, the devious and counterproductive deceits that had crept into the, into the faith and, and the society of God's people in Jerusalem. And in their day, faith had become a, a, a way to, to earn their way to God and show of their, their vir virtues and their achievements. Look what I've done spiritually. Look who I am. 
and how close to God I am. Sacrifices that were supposed to be offered as a confession of sin or thanksgiving had become a way of showing off what you could afford to throw away. <laughs> Prayers were either repetitious babbling or, or public bragging. Wealthy Israelites made huge donations in public. They showed their godliness that way. They showed everyone else how much God had blessed them. And the law had become a, a standard to judge each other by rather than a, a beacon to God. All this Jesus sets out to tear down. And his first words are, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now last week when we had an overview of, of all the Beatitudes, went through all those, I explained what it meant to be poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit means that we live with an understanding of how much we need Him and how helpless we are without Him. It's not, as too many people believe, a call to look down on ourselves or even hate ourselves. It's not that kind of thing. That would be directly contrary to the fact that God has made us His own in His own image and loved each one of us enough to send His own Son as a sacrifice for our sin. Poor in spirit means that we... We need to appreciate and take to, the, to heart the fact that without Jesus, all our potential, our, our achievements, our, our self-esteem self and abilities amount to nothing more than a temporary distraction from an eternity of separation from anything of any value at all. We all live understanding our need for food, for water, for shelter and clothing and other essentials of life. We don't generate these things within us, but we seek them from outside sources. Acknowledging our need for these things is part of a normal life. And so what Jesus is saying is that we must also see our need to acknowledge our natural lack of goodness, uh, our sinfulness, if we are to be a part of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came to establish. And that phrase, kingdom of heaven, it's also called the kingdom of God throughout the Bible too, is both our present and our future as God's children. We know that it refers to our lives in heaven with with God when we die. That, that's normal. We understand that. Heaven is where those who love God and have trusted Jesus Christ for eternal life through His work on the cross end up after their lives on earth are done. Heaven. A place we all are looking forward to, especially during these days, right? But the kingdom of heaven is also what Jesus was bringing to earth, building it piece by piece as He walked from town to town. And He showed people what being a part of the kingdom of heaven meant. This kingdom was, in part, a new way of living that demonstrates how God wants people to live. When people believe in Jesus and put their faith in Him, they become a part of what He is doing and a part of the kingdom of heaven. They are admitting that they need what He has to give and would be lost without it. When they reject Him and reject His message, Choosing instead to try their own ways, they are rejecting the kingdom He is building. They're basically saying that they don't want membership in His kingdom, both now and for eternity. Jesus is telling His, his listeners that they need Him, that they, they can't solve the problem of sinfulness from within, and that they need to be poor in spirit, as opposed to being boastful of their achievements. When we come to Jesus and express our need especially for the forgiveness that we need from Him, and to cleanse our souls from sin, we are being poor in spirit. 
if we are, we're not ready to, to do this, we can't consider ourselves to be a part of what He is doing. And heaven remains an unreachable place. We need to realize that. If we're not poor in spirit, we're saying, well, we're, we're not in need of those things at this point. Well, then you're not in need of, of Jesus and the heaven He offers. But reality is we all are in need of a Savior. So later on in his travels, Jesus told a story which explained what he meant by being poor in spirit. In Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 9, it says, To some who were confident of their righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even go up. Uh, he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisee was, in the public's perception, the role model. They wore the right clothes, they followed the, the right rules, they kept the right friends, made the right sacrifices, and knew the Scriptures forwards and backwards. The man in this story seems to be a role model for the role models. <laughs> his twice-a-week fasting was more than what was required by the law. And his consistently generous tithing would place him in a high regard even among the Pharisees themselves. He was so confident that God uh, would consider him super spiritual that when he prays, he thanks God that he's such a wonderful guy. Basically, his prayer is, look at me, I'm way better than him. And contrary to what uh, his, this audience would have thought, Jesus places this Pharisee in the role of a fool. He's so obviously wrapped up in himself that he has no idea that he actually needs God more than God needs him. <laughs> the tax collector would be the evil one in the crowd's opinion. These men represented everything the people hated, like foreign control, overbearing taxes, and prison if you couldn't pay. And worse than that, these men had the power to cheat the people and get rich by charging them even more than their supervisors required. And the crowds are probably hoping that Jesus will end his story by saying, and when the tax collector fell down to the ground in shame, God sent down fire from heaven and consumed him. The end. But Jesus places, places him in the role of the hero. Not a hero in the sense of a conquering champion, but a hero in the sense that he is able to see himself for what he is and place himself at the mercy of God. He is truly poor in spirit, desperately in touch with the nature of his own sin and desiring that God would forgive him for it and have mercy on him. He's not covering up his transgressions. He's laying them before God and begging for his soul. And contrary to the high-flying Pharisee in this story, God has mercy on him. And the man leaves with his relationship with God restored. 
In this uh, particular beatitude, Jesus deals specifically with those who are poor in spirit. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 comes to mind of being poor in spirit. New Living Translation says, Then I said, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Then I said, My destruction is sealed, for I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful race. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So being poor is simply defined as lacking in specified resources or, or quality. And the poor in spirit recognize their spiritual poverty. They realize the condemning nature of their sin, as well as the supreme grace offered in Jesus. Spiritual poverty requires a complete reliance upon God. If we are totally reliant upon God for our provisions in life, then we open ourselves up to experience His full provisions. And we must have a recognition of insufficiency, knowing that we, we, are, we are not in control. <laughs> we never were to begin with. And an, an awareness of sin, because without recognition of sin, we will not have a full appreciation of God's grace. The spiritual, spiritual poverty, spiritual poverty is not the man who went to a street corner to pray so the world could see. Spiritual poverty is not the man who said, thank you, Lord, that I am not like the woman who just put two cents in the offering plate. Spiritual poverty is not the rich young ruler who boasted that he had kept all the commandments since he was a child. Spiritual poverty is not boasting about how, how good you are in the presence of the one who is perfect. Spiritual poverty is not trying to make it into heaven independently on the merits of being a good person. Spiritual poverty is Isaiah saying, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. Spiritual poverty is building a boat in the middle of a desert before the earth had ever seen a drop of rain. Spiritual poverty is the widow woman who gave what little she had. Spiritual poverty is a lifestyle sacrifice where you realize that you have absolutely nothing to offer to God. So what does spiritual poverty look like in you and me? Let me share some character traits of what this might look like. First of all, I think it's brokenness. We realize that we have nothing to offer to God. That is why Jesus said that we should become like children, because He wants us to acknowledge that we are nothing without Him. Being broken before God means that we come to Him and say, My life is completely in your hands. You're not my co-pilot, you are the captain of my ship. Being broken before God proves that we are not all-powerful. We become aware of, of His might and His majesty and His power. It's in this moment that we realize how far short we fall in the presence of the One who is perfect. Being broken before God develops your perspective in three ways. You gain a new perspective on His mercy and provision. You have a, a more complete comprehension of yourself, and you become more sympathetic to those around you, being broken. Like horses, God will not be comfortable using us until we have shown ourselves broken before Him. Brokenness means we realize that we have nothing, again, nothing to offer to God. Another character trait of spiritual poverty or being poor in spirit is humility. 
humility. It's where we realize who we are and that we are willing to be used by God. Samuel Morse, uh, the famous inventor, received many honors from his invention of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. He said this, he said, I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. Humility is not thinking of oneself poorly. It's not thinking of oneself at all. <laughs> so don't go to the negative. It's thinking of basically others more than yourself. Shortly after Booker T. Washington, the renowned black educator, took over the presidency of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he was finished, he carried the logs into the house, stacked them by the fireplace, and a little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. And the next, the next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute and apologized profusely. It's perfectly all right, madam, he, he replied. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. Humility. Humility before God allows Him to use us as He desires. Humility means we realize who we are and we are willing to be used by God. <laughs> and so one last characteristic of spiritual poverty, being poor in spirit, is dependence, dependence. Not only brokenness, humility, but dependence. It's where we rely on God's mercy. Some point during childhood, most of us transition away from referring to our father as daddy, choosing instead for a more mature name, something like dad. And this change comes as a natural part of our transition from the dependence of childhood to the growing independence of adolescence. But while we grow up to become more independent and leave home, spiritual maturity happens in exactly that opposite way. Rather than become more independent, the Spirit of God prompts us toward a greater state of dependence. This was uh, the Apostle Paul's point when he wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba is a, a term of intimacy and dependence. It's equivalent in meaning to our English title, Daddy. Uh, we were, like I mentioned, we were over at a, a wedding yesterday, and we had the responsibility as grandparents to watch the grandkids, Ransom and Reagan, because uh, Zach was actually doing the ceremony. He was up there, and it was the first one. I had so much fun watching that. I just stood back, and I knew the, the couple that getting married, but I was just watching Zachary all the time. I was like, this is great. I thought, oh, yeah, the, guy, the two are getting married, too. I've got to remember that as well. But it was his first ceremony, I believe, that he did. It's fun to watch that. But as we had that day there, our responsibility was, was to look after the grandchildren because Amanda was part of the wedding party as well. So uh, Becky and I did that. Ransom can kind of take care of himself pretty well. He can get around. He can have fun, all that. Reagan, on the other hand, no. She's pretty dependent upon a lot of things, definitely a whole bunch of things. 
She can kind of creep along, along uh, on the ground right now, and she can do that much. But she can't feed herself. She can't take care of herself. She can't change her own diaper. <laughs> she can't protect herself. All these things she is dependent upon her mom and dad, or in this case, her grandma and grandpa. And we made sure that she's, she was protected. We made sure that she was fed, and we made sure that she had the things she needed. She was dependent on us. The same way we need to show that dependency to God. We depend on God for our every need, who we are, what we do. When we don't, then we're kind of telling God, we're enough. We, we, can, we can handle this. We don't need you in this moment. A branch cannot live apart from the trunk or vine of a plant. In horticulture, uh, nutrients and, and water flow from the main stem or trunk of the plant to the outer branches or stems. From there, the nutrients create fruit or leaves to cover the plant. A branch cannot grow fruit or leaves if it is not connected to the center of the plant. And over the growing season, the mother plant receives sunlight, water, and nutrients from the soil to, the soil to keep growing, helping the immature fruit to continue growing larger. This was the image Jesus was going for when he spoke of the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. And in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to be totally dependent upon God because it's the truth. <laughs> Apart from him, we can do nothing, nothing. So where does this leave us? If we want to be a part of, uh, of what God is doing here on earth, we need to come to the place where we confess our need for Him. Not just our enjoyment of Him, not just our respect for Him, or even our admiration of Him, but for our full, complete, unavoidable need for God. If we want to live with Him in heaven, we need to accept that we can't make the journey on our own. Simply, simply yell, I made it! I'm here finally, when we slip from this life into the next. Being poor in spirit means putting God in first place in our lives. It means living with a daily recognition of the emptiness of our lives without God. We can acquire so many things. We can see so many sights. We can work so many hours and spend so much time doing the things we love most, but without God taking first place in our lives, they will amount to nothing in the end. We can't fill the place that belongs to Him with anything but Him. If we think that anything else can, can adequately fill the place that God wants, to, wants in our lives, we're greatly mistaken. It won't fit in that God-shaped vacuum in our lives. We have to come to grips with the fact that we are sinful people and in need of forgiveness. Christ didn't come to forgive people doing pretty good on their own. He came to forgive sinners. And this is a biblical universal concept. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The world's answer to this is to deny it. Christ's answer is to face it and hand it over to Him. It is nothing more than simply acknowledging something we all face and admitting we need His help. 
We can't do it on our own. How do we give Him first place? We start by simply admitting our need for Him. Confession, repentance, of course, the forgiveness that follows. Taking time to be with Him. Letting His standards be our standards. Not letting our friends or neighbors or family determine our path, but letting His Word show us the way through life. Those friends and family can support us. They can encourage us and even teach us, but our lives are in God's hands, not theirs. God's kingdom is wide open to those who can see their need for Him through a broken, humble, and dependent attitude. Lou Costello had a difficult time figuring out who was on first. Do you have the same trouble? Who is on first in your life? We're going to have the worship team calling up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. And as they do, I trust that this next song will be maybe a prayer for you. A prayer that, that expresses from your heart that, yes, God, you are first place. I want you to be first place. So I give my all to you. It's something that we need to make sure that we visit every day because we want to be reminded that, 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 that the God who loves us, God who created, created the universe, wants that relationship with us, He needs to be first place in our life. And so each day we should be checking that because there will be times where, where the world seeps in and causes us to get a little distracted. If you've been distracted lately and you're having a little trouble of figuring out who's on first, I trust that you can come to God today, spend a little time in prayer with Him, and uh, get back online, making sure that He is first place in your life. Let this song that we're going to sing be that prayer from your heart to His.